Let's share our points of view. Portland, Oregon, right? Yes, yes. And one of my um, favorite cities in the world. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, it's, I made two movies there and I, I just love it there. Oh, it's yeah. a wonderful place. Um, my yeah. dad loved visiting here and yeah. it, it, to be a part of a theater community with something so horrible going on and a course and a company, and you're probably experiencing the same thing, lots of important pieces of the equity puzzle i'm grateful to have a community in which people yeah. are sharing resources and yeah, ideas right. of how we have to step up now it, it's a wonderful it's even in every circumstance it's a wonderful theater town isn't it mm -hmm, it is each, each time i was there I, I i knew different actors either who i was working with or or whom I just knew, mm -hmm. who were involved in theater there. So I would go see things, and, and the quality oh. of the work was so good, and the spirit was so great. Yeah. I was watching that fabulous documentary um, starring Austin Pendleton, which I just loved, and Philip Seymour Hoffman was talking about your kindness in his audition room way back when. And it reminded me of a director that I worked with very early on, who was very similar and that kind of mentorship or kindness can just change an artist's life. Well, he was, I mean, I'll never forget that audition. I'd never heard of it. And, 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 and I was auditioning people for the non-equity. It was just after Nico Sakharopoulos had died. Mm. So three of us were appointed. He, he died rather suddenly of cancer, you know, something mm. like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he died in January. And so three of us were appointed to run the theater just for that summer, transitionally. We were called the Troika. <laughs> and um, so I was the only one available to hold the non-equity auditions. One blustery early March Saturday morning. And I was down in the basement. There was only an intern there outside to process people outside the door and um, all day people came in every 10 minutes, all of them utterly competent, you know, mm -hmm. and it's okay. Around four o'clock in shambles, this mess of a person who was one of my two co, my three co-artistic, my two co-artistic directors for the summer, George Morfolk, and said, he looks like a, um, he said when he ultimately met Phil, he looked like a Bruegel painting. <laughs> <laughs> so in shambles, this Bruegel painting, and God knows what he'd been doing all night. <laughs> it was, and it was four o'clock in the afternoon. And tragically, many years later, I began to put it together, what he'd been doing all night, because yes. he was wasted. Yes. And he gave this, maybe the best audition I've ever heard. Wow. And I'd never heard of him. He'd, as it turns out, he had just graduated from Tisch, mm. the Tisch School, the Arts at NYU. And so 
that kindness was like partly generated by he thanks for making my day yeah <laughs> you know i i love I first, I guess I should just do a real, a bona fide introduction and um, for the interview, because we just launched into talking and I feel as though, you know, obviously I know lots of people feel the same way. You look at your face and they say, this is my old friend because, oh. you know, I've grown up with you on the screen. It's, it's what I experienced with my dad growing up. People would come up and talk to him as though they've known each other for years and you know, but he was the postman or a teacher or something. And so I guess I'll, I'll make a real introduction. It, I'll say, hey, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm Susanna Mars, and I am absolutely over the moon today to talk to actor, director, playwright, husband, father, Austin Pendleton. Uh, and grandfather. Uh, and grandfather. My, my uh, grandson and, will fly into a rage if this is not. <laughs> oh, I love it. He, he's two years old. Oh, gracious. Yeah, right. Oh, oh, my gosh. You must be having a ball with him. Totally, totally. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. Well, I just want to tell everybody, reading about your career and mm -hmm. watching your work has been an inspiration to me for as long as, well, since I was a little girl. And you wrote something so kind about my dad. And is it okay? Well, your dad was hugely important to me. Oh. When we were making What's Up Dog, mm -hmm. which was the only real time I spent with him. But he was like so supportive to me, not only in terms of the work, because uh, I found it a very challenging movie to do. Mm -hmm. I liked everybody involved in it a lot, but the, I'd never done a really part that large in a movie. And it, it, it's, a, it's the hardest kind of movie to make because it's, it's all that rapid fire dialogue and it's all, it's just, a, and the constant, and everybody was great. Everybody was easy to work with and all that. Mm -hmm. But I was like really stressed. And, but also personally, it was a very turbulent time for me mm. as it happened. And he just, he took my hand and, and led me through all of this, everything I just said. Oh. So I always had such, and then I basically never saw him again, except once I was in a show and he came to see it, and came oh. back to stage and we talked for a while. Oh, I, that's so interesting. It's funny how you say he took my hand because one of my favorite scenes, of course, and people will remember this, is when you're, you're talking together and you do this crazy dance move, yeah, um, right. yeah. which is just so darn, it's so much fun to watch. And, and anybody who hasn't seen What's Up Doc at this time, especially right now when we're quarantined and life feels so weighty, gosh, pick it up, watch it. You'll just, your heart will be so much lighter. They, they showed it in oh, a month ago or something on Turner Classic Movies. Yes. And a lot of people, it was after the quarantine had begun, mm -hmm. and um, a lot of people emailed me who had, some had seen it, but a lot of people hadn't. Yes. And it, it was like this beacon of good cheer. Oh, to it them. is. Yeah, yeah, my my kids are older, and they just con you know they're constantly saying Howard Bannister. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just it's just a wonderful film, and I'm I'm curious, you know, as in your life as an actor and director, yeah. you know, at that point in your life, you hadn't directed yet. Is that right? 
I was just beginning to. Mm -hmm. I'd done two pieces of directing as an adult. I did as a kid. We all used to put on plays and direct each other and all that in the basement. You know. I think I read um, your mom said that you had been directing her since you were four. Well, yeah, well, that was <laughs> metaphorically, but I, but I did the first, as an adult, the first time I ever directed anything was I came back to Warren, Ohio, our hometown, mm -hmm. and in the community theater that she had helped to start and been acting in and directing in for years, I directed her in the Glass Menagerie. Oh. Uh, so I, that was when I was 25. Hmm. And then four years after that, I started directing professional, professionally at Williamstown, where I'd been an apprentice and now I was an, and then a non-equity actor, now I was an equity actor. And the artistic director there was Nikos Sakharopoulos. Mm -hmm. And he built that place, essentially. And um, he developed it into the Williamstown Theater Festival. And, um, we would meet every spring and we would talk about, was I going to come there and act that summer? What was I going to do? And, you know, and all that. And one day he offhandedly said, no, we got to talk about, he had a Greek accent. <laughs> we got to talk about the directing thing. I said, what directing thing? <laughs> and he taught, Nikos did, he taught directing at the Yale Drama School. And at that time, teaching acting in the Yale Drama School was Robert Lewis. Oh, wow. Who I had, I had, I'd been in a thing called the Lincoln Center Training Program. Mm. In the fall of 1964, they started the Lincoln Center Theater with Elia Kazan as the director. And they started with that Arthur Miller play, After the Fall, which was, which he wrote for the occasion. And, um, but in the, so that was September 64. September 1963, a year before that, they decided to have a training program. And so they auditioned all these young or young-ish actors. I was uh, 23 when I auditioned. No, 22. Oh, um, I, I got accepted into the company. Mm. And um, there were and there were thirty of us, and it was eight hours a day, five days a week uh, for eight months. And there were thirty of us, and we were not paid, but we didn't have to pay, but we were not paid. So if you already had a job, you could keep it, but you couldn't like. And I was in a play as it happened. So for quite a few months, I was going there every day from September 1962 to May 1963. And it was effectively an eight-month audition for the company that was going to begin under Kazan. Because huh. we were told at the beginning that half of the 30 of us would get into the program. I sort of thrived in the program because I honestly didn't care whether I got into the company or not. Huh. So I just, I didn't absorb the, the audition aspect of it at all. So the acting teacher was, the acting teacher was, was, uh, Bobby Lewis, mm -hmm. as he was known. And I knew all about him, of course. He was a big Broadway director. He had already, at that point, written at least one major book. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew who he was. I mean, if you knew anything about theater, you, you knew who Robert Lewis was. 
he was the acting teacher for those eight months. And, and then he and I remained friends for the rest of his life, which went on for a long, long time after mm -hmm. that. And um, so um, now, um, I forget how I go onto that. About your beginning in the directing world. Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of coupled with so one, acting. One day he had assigned me and, and 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 the woman who was also a, a woman who was also in the program who I I was going with then as a result of the being in the program together. A wonderful actress by the name of Mary Claire Costello, who did get accepted in the company and played one of the leads in After the Fall, actually. Mm. But um uh, he had sent us Hamlet and Ophelia, where it begins with Hamlet going to be or not to be, and then there's the scene with Ophelia. And so like all the scenes that anybody prepared, and the, that group of young actors included Faye Dunaway mm. and Frank Langella and, um, and Barbara Loden. Wow. And I mean, it was, it was quite a group, and Barry Primus. Mm. And... Um, but but we were assigned for Bobby. He assigned us Hamlet and Ophelia, me, me and Mary Claire. And we brought it in, and I so it began with to be or not to be. And I did a piece of still a piece of staging. I had evolved <laughs> um, where I came in and I was alone, and, I, and the throne was there. And I went and I stabbed at the throne as if I were stabbing the king. <laughs> and then I said, oh. What am I doing? And I went in to, to be or not to be. Um, and, and Bobby was very struck by that. He said, that, that's very directorial. That's a directorial idea. I think you should think about that. Mm. And um, you, I mean, continue to act, but, but think about also that. And one, a couple, two, three, four years later, I ran into Nikos on the street one night and he said, oh, Bobby Lewis told me at Yale, he said, uh, when, we were both at, when he and Nikos were at Yale, him, um, uh, that you could be a director, so maybe you should direct at Williamstown. Hmm. This was years after Bobby had said that. I'd sort of forgotten about it. Oh. I, I had gone to Ohio to direct The Glass Menagerie. Mm -hmm. But I, I still wasn't really thinking in those terms. Hmm. And um, the, um, um, so Nikos had me up to direct a production of, of, of Tartuffe. Oh, yes. And uh, it was a hit. I, I've often wondered what would happen if it had been a horrible flop. <laughs> Maybe that would have ended that. Hmm. And then three years later, and I wasn't able to come for, uh, one of the reasons I was, not able to come for them for three years was it, in one of those intervening summers I was we were making what's up doc mm, oh but the the um, but three years later I came back and directed Uncle Vanya and that mm. was a big success and that from that job I got all these other directing jobs and all of a sudden I was a director oh. all because of a casual remark that Bobby made That's right the business operates and of course often things go against you because of of casual things that happen. Yes. But um, uh, so I guess the only thing you do is to try to stay relaxed. Yeah, right. And able to see the happy accidents when they occur. Yeah. And not say, 
ever. Everything depends on this. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. You know? Yes. Well, it was interesting as I was watching What's Up Doc again, I thought to be both actor and director, how does it impact your ability to stay an actor in a movie, say with Peter Bogdanovich or another director with whom you might agree or disagree? And there's certainly many ways to go about directing. Well, you just forget that you're a director when mm -hmm. you're being, being, um, being directed. <laughs> right. You forget about it. A few years after that, uh, you know, I was going to Williamstown almost every summer whenever I was free and, 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 and usually directing, sometimes acting, but usually directing. And, but one summer, Olympia Dukakis, my friend, was in, in a theater in New Hampshire in the summer and she, they were going to do the cherry orchard and she asked me to come direct it and my, there's a great part in it for my wife, Katina, and we just had our kid. Mm. And so um, we went up there, we took someone to help us with Audrey, who was not even yet a year old and we stayed in this little place in, in this little town in New Hampshire and it was kind of wonderful. Mm. In the middle of my doing that, Nikos called me and said, I'm doing, directing the Cherry Orchard at Williamstown very soon and the leading role will be played by no less than Colleen Dewhurst. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and would you come and play the student, you know, Trofimo. Mm -hmm. I had played that part in Williamstown 10 years before that, actually with Olympia in mm -hmm. Williamstown. So I said, sure. So for almost the whole and so then we opened the Cherry Orchard in New Hampshire. And then Nico got an apprentice at Williamstown to be my like chauffeur. Mm. And this, this guy would come over and pick me up um, in the morning, early-ish in the morning. And it was maybe a two hour drive to Williamstown. Oh. And then uh, we would rehearse all day with me in the Cherry Orchard with Nico's directing. And then this 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 guy would he 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 would drive me back to New Hampshire in time to see the production. Huh. So for two weeks that went on because the production played for two weeks the one in New Hampshire, and I was going so I was seeing the production I directed every night, and rehearsing an entire and Nikos even hired the same designer. <laughs> And the set that this designer did for Nico's production was 180 degrees away from the set we had in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And so the whole tone and movement and feeling of the production was completely different from what I had just directed and was seeing every night. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, this is going to be the ultimate test. Because the Cherry Orchard is one of those plays that if you get involved in the production of it, you feel very deeply about the production you're involved in. Yes. And and this that and, and particularly I guess if you've directed it. And I had to go in the room in the morning in Williamstown and forget completely oh. that I had just directed this play. And Nikos wow. would give directions about the scenes that were not at all what I had the way I directed it. And it was, I thought, I remember saying to myself, well, I mean, I wanted to do it anyway. I wanted to work with Nikos. I wanted to act in the play. I certainly wanted to work with Colleen. Mm -hmm. And there were other wonderful people in it. And I, I thought, 
okay, this is the ultimate test. Can you leave it all at the door in the rehearsal hall when you're acting? If it's yes, a play yes. you know as a director, not only know in this case, but have just done <laughs> and is still playing. <gasps> so, and I was able to do it. In fact, it was oddly liberating. Huh. I, I don't quite know why. Well, it's just, all you need to do is to make that, that decision. And, it, and then you find out, oh, I can do you. It, and if ever you start to have an urge to say, oh, no, I think this should be, you, you simply stifle it. And it, maybe, I, but, but maybe that happened once or twice early on. Yeah. And I, I checked it. And then it was totally easy. That's so Now, it, it helped, of course, that the people involved in the production I was acting in were first class. Yes. As were the people in the production I had directed. Yes. So, um, um, so w when you're working with first class people, you find yourself being very flexible. Yeah, it's as you said earlier, you know, it's just being open to those things that happen in real yeah. time. Yeah. And this was positively karmic. Mm. I mean, this was clearly a set <laughs> of instructions was being circumstantially given to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm curious because I, I don't, the, talking about happy accidents and being open to what's happening around you, for me, feels not only as part of my work pursuit, but part of my personal spiritual pursuit. Yes. Do you have a, a special, do you have certain rituals that you engage in in the day, in the morning to help, certainly getting through this quarantine period, but in life prior, certain things that you hang on to for that kind of uh, open mind that, that your work requires? I don't, but you know what? Now that you ask that, I think maybe the teaching does. I, I teach every week. I teach three classes a week. And I somehow have over the years, in the same year, two giant mentors of mine. Nico Sakharopoulos got me, asked me to become a professional director with that Tartuffe. And that same year, Herbert Berghoff, where I'd been a student mm. of Herbert's and of Uta Hagen, mm. asked me to teach in the same year. Wow. Now, this profession, as you just implied, and as you know, uh, is such a roller coaster. And yes. you are, and you could go with the flow and everything, but the, how, whatever you call it, you're still always at the mercy. I mean, that, that can be said of any profession. Yes. But in this profession, you're totally at the mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no structure. You're at the mercy of any asteroid that comes at you, you know. <laughs> and, and the, um, um, and the, um, um, the teaching which I'm, that began 50 years ago this past fall. And it has grounded me through all the ups and, the, and sometimes the <coughs> spectacular downs. Mm -hmm. I mean, the really disorienting downs. It just, that provides, that in itself becomes a, what you just said, a grounding, a, if you will, a spiritual grounding. 
and every person that I've mentioned your name to sees you as such a, a person who is giving and supporting the craft of acting and creating a bedrock of hope and loving kindness that helps people continue to acting, do the work. Acting, I, th I think, I'm not exaggerating, saved my life. Hmm. As a kid and then as a teenager, I had a terrible stutter, hmm. really crippling stutter. But I found when I acted, I didn't. Mm. And the only, I've been in one play where the character stuttered, which was, as luck would have it, <laughs> Oh Dad, Poor Dad. It's, it's, it's the first play I did in New York, and it ran for a year, and it was a very stressful year because oh. it's very hard to control the stutter mm. if you're, you're supposed to stutter. Mm -hmm. and oh, it, went, it just went all over the map for a year. And another mentor, it was directed by Jerome Robbins. Oh, for heaven's sake. And, an, and another, yeah, I, I got an audition for it almost by a fluke. And then he hired me. Hmm. Oh. And, and uh, he was very compassionate during that year. And I would want to quit, hmm. which I could have done because it was an off-Broadway show and you have a two-week out, or at wow. least you did in those days. I'm sure you still do. And he'd say, I can't stop you from leaving, but I want you to say, I want you to take this on. I want you to make this a challenge for yourself. I want you to, because uh, if you leave this, he said, you will never act again. You'll be too scared. Mm -hmm. And also people will know why you left and that, so they won't hire you. Yeah. So I want you to quote, I want you to act the rest of your life. Unquote. Oh. Wow. So, yeah. So those three guys, Jerry Robbins, Nico Sakharovos, Herbert Berger, the three pillars of why we're even talking to each other. Yes. And, and the, um, um, so then the other one I put where was where I played a character who said it was famously my cousin, Benny. Yes. And I would give anything not to have done that movie. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I unintentionally totally offended the stuttering community, which is the last thing I wanted to do. Of course. But secondly, I I think it affected the work I got after that. Interesting. People for a while only wanted me in parts of movies if I stuttered. Uh, and, uh, you know, I went, part of what got me into acting was that I would find when I really had trouble in day-to-day in -day life, I would... Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I would escape mm -hmm. into this other reality, and um, and way of being, and I think, and of course, I grew up in a household where there was a lot of theater. My mom had been a professional actress director. She joined that community theater after World War II. They came to her because they knew of her professional background. She had the first plays were done, were rehearsed in the evening in our living room after mm -hmm. me and my brother and sister were supposed to be in bed, we would sneak down and hide and watch. Oh, I remember that because when you've got actors at home, you do not want to go to bed. Oh, totally. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> you about. You do not want to go to bed. There's there are people talking to each other with uh, lots of good things are going on down there. Yes, and <laughs> a after dinner, we would, when there was going to be a rehearsal at 
night in our living room, we would rearrange the furniture so it would be like the set of the play. Mm. So it would be all ready for them when they arrived. And oh. The actors would come by eight. And they were people who were lived in Warren who were receptionists and worked in the mills. At that time, it was a thriving factory town. And were optometrists and were lawyers and, and clerks and receptionists. And they would come and for three hours, the house was magical. Mm. and so uh and and so and then i began to be in plays like in school and stuff like that and um i thought and i could talk mm. every once in a while there was a problem but usually i could talk mm. and so it was very i i associated with acting with very primal things Yes. It's interesting when you speak about the stutter, because I know I remember my dad speaking to me about how hard it was for people to uh, cast him without a German accent, similarly. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And it, it speaks to what you were talking about earlier, people's desire to hang on so tight, you know, yes. to something they want to know. Yes. Right. You know, and totally, totally, totally. So your stuttering in films, or my dad always playing Germans, is people yeah, right. just want to say, "Okay, I've got this." And it, I guess it really speaks to our human desire for, for knowing what's going to happen. Yes, I exactly. And yet, as we were making "What's Up, Doc," they brought out that movie he had just done with Shirley MacLaine. I think oh, it's called Desperate, Desperate Characters, which was the total opposite of all that. Yes. And I was in awe that he could do that. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That is, um, I, now that I'm of an age where I can understand his deep desire and certainly yours and other actors, myself included, who want to express themselves through this art, Yes. To not be able to have the freedom to do what you want to do. Yeah. No, and certainly in my dad's case, in your case, and so many others, having very successful careers. Yeah, yeah, and yet <laughs> stay in that box, stay in that box. Because yeah. it makes everybody feel better. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah um, I, I was uh, curious. I mean, I know your daughter is a doctor. Yeah. How is she doing with COVID? I know you guys are in New York. Well, she, she's, she's in training to be a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And she's in the final part of her training to be a surgeon, which is called the uh, fellowship. Ah. So she has two specialties. So you go to out of town for a year or for two years to a hospital that needs you for for your for your specialty oh interesting right now she's almost at the end of her first year which is from july to july in richmond virginia mm. and her specialty is trauma mm. richmond has the murder rate so so up until the COVID came along she, what she was doing was operating on gunshot wounds and all that mm. then in the end of july she and her husband and their son are going to Chicago for two years because her other specialty is is thoracic, which is basically everything between here and here. You know? Oh, I've watched Grey's Anatomy. I know oh, all yeah, right. thoracic. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. When she was growing up, we had Grey's Anatomy on all the time. Oh. But the, but the and um, but now, of course, in the last three months or so, mm -hmm. 
Um, she isn't hard, doing hardly any surgery. They put her right to work in the hospital in Richmond with the COVID. Yes. So there she is now. Her husband, uh, she met him in her, in, in her residency, the first day of her residency at the NYU hospital in New mm -hmm. York. Um, he, he's, he's an ICU doctor. He was when she met him. Mm. So he now belongs to this remarkable company and he's belonged to this for three, four years where mm -hmm. two weeks out of, he belongs to, he's been an ICU doctor in New York, a very high level, sophisticated hospital system. Mm -hmm. And so they take, they, they take ICU doctors, this, this corporation, and they send them for two weeks of every month out to a small town so this person can. And so every, every six or eight months or so, he has a new town. Right now, it's, oh. Ab it's Abilene, Texas. The upside of all that is that the other half of each month, he's home 24-7. Oh, that's great. With your with super and, grandson. Yeah. Oh. So now he, he goes two weeks out of every every month to Abilene, Texas. And, and of course, I mean, I mean, the downside of that, apart from the fact that he's in an ICU, yes. uh, is um, flying. Yes. But still, he's fine. He's oh, fine. Good. He's a remarkable man. Huh. And, and, um, and, and so he's, he's hands-on with the COVID, so to speak. Yes. And, but so is she, even though she's a surgeon. Yes. They aren't doing, as you no doubt heard, they're just mm. not doing elective surgery these days. Right, right. And um, uh, she, she, I, I, I presume she occasionally does some surgery because people mm. still, in fact, in Richmond, there's been a lot of, a lot of, uh, 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 even a spike in the violence mm. because people are so freaked out about the COVID. Yes. So she, so there's a certain amount of surgery, but when they're, but she spends a lot of time just dealing with the COVID patients, mm. which of course does not require any surgery. Yes. But it's still, it's, but, but it's dangerous. Yes. And, and, and her husband's work uh, is dangerous for yes. the same reason. So we're all, and, and then as I say, in, in July, the end of July there, the whole family's going to move to Chicago. Mm. They already have an apartment, oh. which they found online. In, and the, Chicago will be for two years. Mm. And then the plan is they're coming back to New York. She'll find a job in New York oh, good. as a surgeon. And uh, so that's what all that is. So I, I, I feel as though you're, you're, the heart right now that's helping you kind of move through this, and in addition to the fact your family's healthy and, and everything, is the teaching. Oh, yeah. And, on and Zoom. I, on that's Zoom. what I was curious about, you know, because I, as you said, there are happy accidents everywhere. And I've taken, uh, we've done so many things on Zoom, you know, uh, millions of things. And I thought, gosh, as an acting teacher, are you finding anything uniquely wonderful about Zoom yes, that might I, not have been I, unearthed? When I first heard about it, when I first heard that the, I teach at HB Studio, the, where I studied, the, the, um, and we, we had a conference call just after the lockdown began. And it was proposed we were all going to teach on Zoom. It's the first time I ever heard the word Zoom in, in this context. Yes. 
And I thought, oh my God. And then we had a week long training all the faculty for this expert guy who's on the faculty, but and who was a Zoom expert, moved us through it. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I'm, this is the definition of what I cannot do. <laughs> and I thought, but even if I get on top of it, how's it gonna work with scene study? I mean, it's just like, right from the beginning, it was exciting. Mm. As soon as it began, there's a certain thing that happens. I mean, you assign people scenes, and of course, they rehearse in their, they're in their two different apartments, abodes. And then, of course, they perform it for the class in their two different abodes. And right away, it began to get clear that the fact that they were in separate rooms really amplifies what literally any scene is about. Like, you, the scene would be taking place in the same room you know, mm -hmm. under ordinary circumstances. But you, uh, you want, in any scene, you want the other person to come, to, to metaphorically speaking, come into your room where you are, emotionally. Yes. So now this just makes it completely literal. So there's this tension and urgency in the work that is almost a given which often in the, in the classroom is a thing you spend two or three reworks instilling in the work. Yes. So now the only thing you instill sometimes is maybe interpretive things. Well, maybe if, here's an element you're leaving out of the scene or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's the essential, I, I once worked with a great actress uh, and I was in a play with um, Anne Bancroft. Oh my goodness. The Little Foxes. Yes. And then 14 years later, I directed that same play. And the part that Anne Bancroft played was played by Elizabeth Taylor, mm. who had never been in a play before. Oh, my gosh. But Anne came to see it. In, when we toured, we went to Los Angeles. And we went out there. And she said, you know, all the actors in it are good. They're very capable. But Elizabeth Taylor, she has a certain thing that is... It, she's doing more than anybody else. And I said, what? And she said the following phrase, she's always playing the emergency of the scene. Mm. I've never heard that phrase before. Since then, I use it all the time. Mm. And indeed, she was right. She said, "There's this, you could tell, if you really think about it, you could tell she's not as at home on the stage as all the other actors, each of whom, you know, had been in a hundred plays. Mm -hmm. But, and were very fine. I mean, Maureen Stapleton, you know, no. people like that and <laughs> all kinds of wonderful people. Mm. But she has, she is really fastened on the emergency of the scene in every scene. Mm. And um, so the emergency of the scene in class is heightened by two people being in two separate rooms that are miles away from each other. Oh. trying to get the other person in where they are. <laughs> so there's, it, it, every time a scene is brought in, it, it, it immediately kind of leapfrogs into uh, what would sometimes take a couple of weeks in class. Mm. You know, so it's very exciting, yes. That is so 
it's so wonderful. I just knew that you would have, you would see something unique about this opportunity that this yeah. world is presenting with us, presenting well, us right now. Frankly, I wasn't even actively looking for it. Yes. I mean, I was, I was going with it because, well, we got to keep the school open and I guess there's no other way to do it. And we'll yeah. somehow make it through. I think it was something like that, mm. but right in the first class, it just started to happen. Right. Exactly. Happy accident. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you, are you hearing about any interesting innovations in New York about getting back into creating work in unique spaces at this time? I know we're talking about that right now. Just by coincidence, I, I, I work up in Boston and, and every time I work in Boston, usually as an actor, but uh, well, actually every time I spend as an actor, uh, no, once as a director, is at a theater called New Rep. Mm -hmm. And um, I just was this a few months ago in Oliver up there. Oh. And, part, and part, it's a great theater and I, I love all the people but also it's where my sister lives mm. with her family. She lives with her family. Oh, lovely. Uh, her three kids all live with her. They're all in their thirties and their early forties. They have kids and spouses and they all live in this big farmhouse and they have jobs, all of them. And so I, I love to stay with her for mm. extended periods of time. Well, because it's such a crowded house, I can't go up there and just sit just stay to stay. <laughs> but if I'm in a show, it's wonderful. Oh. And so I like to go to Boston for that reason, but also New Rep, just by coincidence that you're asking this a couple of hours ago, and this is another reason that I was a bit late today. Mm -hmm. uh, we had an online meeting that started late and then went late. All of these actors who had New Rep, the, artist, the new artistic director of New Rep, he directed Oliver, but this is the end of his first season at New Rep. And so what a set of challenges to be suddenly faced with. Mm -hmm. And with talking over all these different ways of how can we put on shows. And um, it's sort of like what's happening with, I was in a Broadway show that was just about to open when the lockdown happened. We'd had uh, two, two previews. Right. In fact, the lockdown happened on a Thursday morning and the press was going to start coming that night. So it had two weeks of previews. Right. Three, three, three days away from opening night. So, um, and so the producer, of course, and we all want to reopen it when it's, it's acceptable to reopen it. And you know, we, we have meetings about it all the time on Zoom. Mm. And we and we meet in Zoom every three or four weeks and just and, and run through all the lines. Mm. So both that, which is a Broadway show, and New Rev, it just we you finally we gotta wait till it's safe. Yes. And there is simply no way of predicting that. Right. So like the like the Broadway show I mean, it's called The Minutes. It's mm -hmm. a play by uh, Tracy Letts, who's also in it. We're in the core theater and the set is still there. Look, it's been there since early March. Oh. It's still there. And I presumably, and, and the producer is Jeffrey Richards, a very experienced uh, producer on Broadway. And it's, that set's going to be there in the court until we come back. Oh my gosh. It sounds like a play in itself. Yeah. 
and now he's he said we'll reopen on March 15th mm. which was the date we were going to open this year mm. uh, the lockdown was on March 12th right and on March 15th we were going to open after after all the previews we'd done and so in a weird way it's lucky the lockdown happened when it did because what if we got mixed reviews <gasps> you i mean you can never tell yes what particularly with a new play mm -hmm. it seemed to be going very well but you never know mm -hmm. if we if it if the lockdown had happened even five days later and the reviews coming in even if they've been mixed it would be much harder for him to to keep that set in there right and for a while the theater was charging him rent uh, well, i don't know if they still are i mean come mm, on right but just like all the all the theater owners with all the broadway theaters were, were charging rent yeah so now so now he said march 15th for some reason you seem to need to make it at first we were going to open again like april 14th then they mm. moved that to early june then they moved it to early september now he's saying march 15th oh okay and of course nobody knows what will be happening yes at that point but there's cautious optimism that that might be a possible thing but we won't know until well, we won't really know till March fourteenth, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, right. and and um, the same is exactly what new rep in that meeting we just had before um, met with you. Yes, um, was we're talking all the different options, but it all ended up with we'll just have to. So he was proposing certain dates, as I guess I don't know what they call them, but I guess you could call them target dates. Yes. And um, and then you keep as things develop, you, you you keep you move the goalposts. Right. I I have to wonder, just thinking about Broadway, if it'll make a difference whether it's a musical or not, in regard to how far air travels when you're singing versus jockeying, All these crazy new ways we're thinking yeah, about how orchestra, human contact. I mean, you can restage for um, the actors. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, make adjustments. But the orchestra is the orchestra. Right. I mean, could you put a plexiglass, you know, uh, wall between the audience and the actors? Is that even, you know, like, I don't, who knows? I know. There, there are certain adjustments you can make that would sort of defeat the whole purpose. Yes. It would be much more exciting to see it on Zoom than seeing it live through a plexiglass. Uh, yes. You know. Oh, I appreciate your time so very much. I just, I wrote to a dear friend. I said, you've got to read Austin Pendleton's teaching statement. I said, we need to go to New York and we need to take class from him. Well, you can take it. The great uh, people are, are in my class now who are in like mm. Massachusetts. Yes, and, that's right. And, and California, actually. Yeah. What's well, funny, so, yeah, lots of classes at SAG Foundation. And I mean, it's opening up the, the floodgates for us regional folk. Yeah, right. Yeah, what's it, what's, it, what's, what's it like in Portland right now? What is the, um, what's it like out there now? Today, right now. it is beautiful. And it is here too. It, yeah, and it's sunny and gorgeous and warm as can be. And then it, the forecast for the weekend is torrential rain. Oh, really? Yeah. Talk about uh -huh. being ready for anything. Yeah. You know? 
Well, among the good things that come might come out of this is um, a hard look at climate change. I agree. There's so many good things that can come. And I know for a fact, we've got to defeat the Cheeto brain um, in yeah. the hope that we can get, I had a great uh, meeting. In fact, it was all unions yesterday met with uh, Jeff Merkley. And it was just heartening to hear his optimism about what good can come. Yes, right. If, if we can all really use our voice and everything we've got. Well, an extreme thing that could happen, because you've seen, I'm sure you've seen, and you can see it every time you step outside. Mm -hmm. But you see on television, the news, you see shots of how clear the air is. Yes. And they, they show a shot of uh, some town from back in February or something. And then they show the air. And, and the contrast is literally in the most exciting way. Yes. Shocking. Yes. So you know what they should really do? Mm. They should make it much, much harder to own and drive a car. Yes. They should cut way, way back on airline travel. Yes. And they should, Amtrak should open up 100 new routes. Oh, in, yes. Within, within towns and communities, there should be a lot of light rail work. That, because trains don't pollute anywhere near. Yes. Uh, what e either cars or planes do. And if that happened, then the sky would look the way it looks now in those photographs. Yes. You know, I was thinking about SpaceX and yeah. I thought, what a different view of planet Earth they're going to have than has ever been seen. Exactly. That, well, I hadn't even thought of that. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I hope we send back every single picture so too. we can look at it. Yes. And, and, uh, and I hope that, um, I hope that Biden yes. <laughs> and his, his, uh, any one of those wonderful women who would be his vice president. Amen. Takes a hard look at climate change. Trump, of course, is totally in bed with the fossil fuel industry. Yes. And, uh, um, and has renounced the whole, whole climate change concern. He's against the type of collaboration that is what makes our work so beautiful and perfect yes, right. yeah. is the opposite of anything can, he ever tries to can do. Can you imagine being in a play with him? No, oh my God. <laughs> well, you'd, you're fired. I guess that would be the end of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it would be one of those circumstances where one would so look forward to being fired. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, I just appreciate your kind time and your incredible work. You're just an inspiration to so many, and your generosity is legion. Oh, thank you. Well, and I wish you all the best. Do you, do you have a family? Do you have yes, I have two daughters, a 20-year-old and a 26-year-old. The 20-year-old came back to live with us. She's in college and is now living with us, and we're navigating the new normal of oh, having yeah. our kid back. And uh, yeah, I, I'm slated to go to Canada to play Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd. Um, when? In November. And I pray, pray that there'll be theater in November, but I don't know how it looks. Well, what are the statistics in, in like in Vancouver, like in Canada? Um, well, I would be going to Manitoba and the statistics are very low, but my concern is, and I'm still not in, you know, we're not 
there's been no movement on whether it will happen or not, is that I wonder if they'll prefer to have an actress from Canada because of the border, that the border's closed between the U.S. and Canada. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten that. So I... Um, well, you know, it's, it's, it's in November? Uh, yeah, November. And um, I, I quite fortunately got to play the role a couple of years ago at Portland Opera, and oh my uh, God, Susanna. Yeah, I wish my dad could have seen that. He, he was a real champion of my work, and I'm you sure know, father daughter, all sorts of complications and such. But yeah, um, I wish he could have seen that. It was really exciting. But he saw me play Mama Rose and Gypsy. At, Good God! At Portland where, Center where was that? Uh, Portland Center Stage. Oh, how wonderful. I've seen yeah. work there. Oh, how yeah. wonderful. Yo, if fun, interestingly enough, Kate Schindel played my daughter. Oh, my God. Actors' equity president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, and, um, yes, and right. he did the whole, he's, you know, he's of that era um, when, you know, opening night party and I came into the party and he stood up and applauded. I felt like I was in a movie from 1940, you know, it was just yeah, fabulous. Right. Yeah, so, oh, well, I, uh, you, you have quite a, a career going. That's marvelous. It is good. It is very good. Very They'll happy. They'll probably postpone the, the, the Sweeney Todd in Canada anyway. Yes, I think you're right. And, and by that time, we will have a president who will open the border. Oh, and you know, that is going to be such a celebratory day. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's going to be singing and dancing in the streets. Yes. I know our artistic community is the community that can lead the way to oh, make totally. changes. Yeah, yeah. And Oregon was honorable in the 2016 election. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I hope you have a marvelous rest of your day. You too, Susanna. It's wonderful getting to know you. Thank you. I feel exactly the same. I send you and all your dear ones and your beautiful grandson much love. Thank you. And all right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you soon. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Adventures in Artslandia We've shared our points of view This is David Safford playing. Advent.